Well, this evening we will continue in the study of 1 Corinthians and we'll begin right where Pastor Brent left off last week. He got us through the end of chapter 2. And so we're going to begin with chapter 3 and we're going to read the whole chapter tonight. Uh, You can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1132 through 1133. Again, that will be the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. God's word says this, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, Let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. About a decade ago, I used to listen very often to a pastor, and I still remember the first couple sermons I heard from this pastor. I remember thinking that there is no preaching on earth quite like this pastor. 
My soul was stirred with every single word that he said. He spoke with authority. He spoke with conviction. He called out sin, and he called the church to grace, to God's grace. Likewise, I remember also loving another pastor. This pastor was an apologist. He traveled around, especially going to uh, uh, schools, college campuses, proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ, defending the faith. And I remember thinking that in many ways, he was a spiritual mentor of mine. Well, in the last decade, the first pastor, whose name is Mark Driscoll, has fallen from his position, was fired. He was disgraced because of some of his actions. And now he totally rejects Reformed theology, and he is back in a pulpit preaching Arminian theology. Likewise, the other pastor is a man named Ravi Zacharias, who fell from grace after death when it came out that he uh, had misconduct with women that were not his wife. As you might imagine, and maybe some of you are in the same position I am, you might imagine that for me, I was fairly crushed. I still remember the Sunday morning uh, after finding out about Ravi Zacharias and getting into the pulpit and having to kind of deal with some of this stuff because he was such an influential believer and leader. Unfortunately, from my position, I had elevated those men to a position that they should not have been elevated to. And many other people have made that mistake, especially in this day and age of media and the mass ability to have whoever you want in front of you at any time. Well, much of what Paul says, in fact, I would say all of what Paul says today talks about this problem, elevating human beings to a position that they should not be in. So looking at chapter 3, Paul continues to address divisions within the Corinthian church um, as they were dividing over human leaders. We saw a lot of that in chapter 1, but there's this major problem that's happening in, in the Corinthian church, and that is that they are trusting and dividing over Apollos, I'm with Paul, I'm with Cephas, or I'm with Jesus. And Paul now is going to address this issue, and he's really going to help us understand why is this a problem and how do we deal with that. And he's actually going to push pretty hard on the Corinthians. And he's going to do this, I think, in a pretty interesting way. He does this by presenting four metaphors. And these metaphors picture the church, and they picture the church's relationship with church leaders, specifically Paul and Apollos. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. In fact, I think that uh, as always seems to happen, there seems to be at least four sermons worth of material here that we're trying to cram into one, which is okay. Uh, But there is much to be said, but we're going to try to fly at about 40,000 feet and just look at these metaphors and try to answer the question, what does this tell us about our relationship with church leaders? So looking at the first metaphor, we see it in verses 1 through 4. So looking at verses 1 through 4, can anyone tell me what is the metaphor that Paul is making? This is the only time I'll ask that question. And it's not complex. Does anybody see the metaphor there? Yes, 
Yeah, the Corinthians were like babies. They were acting like infants. He's equating the, the Corinthians' spiritual lives to that as infants. Of course, he's not calling the Corinthians infants in their physical sense, but in the spiritual sense, they are infants. Now, it's important for us to recognize that he's not saying that they have dead spiritual lives, that there is no spiritual life there. Rather, he is saying that they are far less mature and wise than they think they are. They are spiritual babies, and that is uh, proven by the fact that they are acting like little babies in quarreling over human beings. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. Now, one thing that we should recognize is that their level of spiritual maturity doesn't seem to catch Paul off guard. Certainly, he's not happy with the way they're behaving. But we see in verse 2, he says, I fed you milk, not solid food. Paul came to Corinth intentionally feeding them milk and not more complex food. Why? Well, he says, for you were not ready for it. Just like an infant needs his mother's milk and can't handle complex food, so too do immature Christians need some uh, simple truth rather than complex doctrine. And Paul says that this is the case for the Corinthians. Now, I do want to ask the question, what does he mean by spiritual milk here? And this isn't the point of the passage. This isn't the point that he's trying to make. In fact, he doesn't really explain it to us. But I think we can, we can figure out what he means by spiritual milk by looking back to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom, For I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. The the spiritual milk that the Corinthians needed was Christ and Christ crucified. The basic basic truths of the gospel. Paul tells them that their need for spiritual milk rather than spiritually uh, complex food was because they were acting worldly. They were acting childish by dividing over leaders, which Paul is going to go on to say that those leaders are not worth dividing over. And of course, he is one of those leaders. Quarreling over which spiritual leader to follow demonstrates really that the Corinthians have missed what Paul was trying to teach them. That was not the point of him coming and preaching Christ and him crucified. And the problem, and we we see this theme throughout Uh, Paul's teaching here in 1 Corinthians, and especially in the last couple chapters, the problem is that the Corinthians had too high of a view of themselves and too high of a view of other human beings. (coughs) And so the first metaphor sets up our understanding of where the Corinthians are at spiritually when Paul was writing them. They are infants, And now the next three metaphors will help the Corinthians and help us to understand why elevating human leaders too highly is a problem. Okay, so in verses 5 through 9, Paul helps the church 
understand how they should think about church leaders by picturing the church as a garden. So this is the next metaphor, the church as a garden. And so looking at verses 5 through 9 and understanding the church as a garden, according to Paul, what was his purpose in coming to the Corinthian church? What was his purpose? (coughs) To plant the seed. To plant the seed of what? The gospel. Yeah. Simple as that. His purpose was to come and sow the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what does it say it was the purpose of Apollos? To water. So the purpose of Paul was to plant the seed. The purpose of Apollos was to be that pastoral role of watering and nurturing the seed that Paul planted. The point, part of the point that Paul is making here is one thing that the Corinthians are missing is they were working together. There's no division between them. Paul didn't come to set up his own tribe, and Apollos didn't come to set up his own tribe, as if the Corinthians could pick between the two. They were working together as servants of God. Now, here's the most important question, of course. Who does Paul say is the one who actually does the work, who actually does the growing? It's the Sunday school answer, right? It's it's God. God does the growing. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't Apollos. They were fellow workers and fellow servants of the one who actually does the work. And Paul wants to make sure that the Corinthians understand how Paul and Apollos as church leaders should be viewed by the Corinthians, how they should actually see them. And he, he, he does this in verse 7. He says, So neither he who plants, that's being Paul, nor he who waters is anything. Again, this is, this is the great apostle Paul talking. And he says, We are nothing but only God who gives the growth. Paul is trying to get them to realize that they were childishly dividing over other humans who have no power in themselves to give life. And instead of, instead they, they, they were dividing instead of uniting around the one who actually does give true life. And it is childish. In their wisdom, They thought they had to choose a side. And they were quarreling over people who at the end of the day are going to die and can't affect real change without God in their lives. The problem with this is a problem I think that we suffer tremendously today. I mean, it's a problem that the church has suffered throughout all generations, but today we have everything at our fingertips. And so I think most of us can probably visualize, think about our favorite pastors, our favorite preachers, our favorite apologists, even our favorite politicians or political commentators. And the problem is, is that we can fall in the same trap that the Corinthians were falling into by taking sides. It's not even necessarily that we've made this decision, and yet all of a sudden everything we believe is suddenly filtered through this political commentator, or this great theologian. One of the great theologians that I I consider a spiritual mentor of mine is R.C. Sproul. 
And I can fall in that trap with R.C. Sproul. All of a sudden, uh, all I'm, all, everything I'm, I'm, I'm looking up is, is for his, uh, I'm looking up his stuff for everything that I do. When I lead a Bible study, the first thing I Google is R.C. Sproul suggested commentaries. And that's the truth. The problem is, is we can take sides because it's so accessible and it's so easy. Now moving on to Paul's third metaphor. We find this in verses 10 through 15. Now instead of picturing the church as a garden, he pictures the church as a building. In this metaphor, uh, we see that Paul changes roles just slightly. It's the same role, but in this metaphor, how does Paul now describe his role? Looking at verses 10 through 15. How does Paul now describe his role? Okay. He is the, the, by God's grace, he has been given a masterful ability to lay the foundation. And what is this foundation? It's the gospel. It's the same thing, right? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. His death, his crucifixion, his resurrection. Paul's position as a church leader in Corinth was not to be God, It was not to be a guru, and it wasn't even to be the pastor of Corinth. His position was to sow seeds and to build the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ beneath their feet so that someone else in God's providential will would come along and be the one to build on that foundation and to be the one that waters that seed. Now, Paul is teaching here that church leaders are to be a part of building God's church on the foundation of the gospel. So, there's the broader application, the broader context for church leaders. We are to be a part of building that, the church, to building the congregation up in the faith. I don't think that this is limited to pastors or elders or deacons. We can talk about Sunday school leaders and Awana leaders and uh, Uh, VBS leaders and cadets and gems, Bible study leaders. We are to build on the foundation of the gospel, but within that work, there is a warning. Paul warns us to remain vigilant and careful because God is going to test that work. The truth is that if they trust, if leaders trust in worldly wisdom, and build according to that wisdom, the church will suffer and the church will fail. Those examples that I gave at the beginning are examples of that. Much hurt was brought out of those ministries because they used their own wisdom to guide their lives. But if they trust in God's wisdom and build on Christ as their only foundation, the church will succeed. Now, the interesting thing that we need to notice at this point is that Paul hasn't talked about any of these leaders' salvation. He hasn't called into question any of their salvation up to this point. Paul says in verse 15, if, anyone, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. So there does seem to be some type of reward loss thing going on here, but it's not salvation. Because next he says, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. 
I think he's talking about saved leaders here, leaders who genuinely do love Jesus and yet are persuaded by sin to go down the wrong road. I would probably categorize uh, uh, Robbie Zacharias, put him in this category. I think he loved Jesus. I think he's in heaven. But he allowed his own sinful desires to walk him down a path that he should never have gone, which has now done damage to people's lives. Now, looking at the final metaphor, we see in verses 16 through 17, uh, Paul's tone changes drastically here. He is still talking about the church and the relationship to church leaders, but now he is talking to unrepentant, wicked leaders. In these four metaphors, and I'll come back to them in just a second, in these four metaphors, the church has gone from an infant of which a good church leader feeds with the appropriate level of spiritual food. There's a wisdom element in that. It's gone to being a garden of which a good church leader waters and feeds with the nutrients of God, and God is the one that causes the growth. And it's gone to being a building of which the foundation must be Christ alone. And now he tells us that the church is a temple of the living God, is the temple of the living God. This new metaphor is different because in many ways it acts as a warning to false church leaders whose foundation is worldly wisdom. And the warning is simple, yet it's profoundly terrifying. The church, who are God's called people, is the sacred dwelling place for God in the New Testament context. We are the sacred place where God has chosen to dwell. If a church leader guides the church in false doctrine, in the wisdom of the world, and into unrepentant heresy, God is clear. On the day of judgment, there will be no mercy. He will be destroyed. And that's what it says. God will destroy him. It's as our Lord says in Luke 17.2, It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea. With all of this said, with these metaphors in mind, what's Paul's ultimate point? What's Paul's ultimate point? His point is simple, and again, it's important. And I do want to pause here to, to mention again Paul is, is not creating complex doctrine for them. This is, he's feeding them spiritual milk right now. So the point he makes is something that we all know. It's something that we all understand. And yet I think it's something that we can all easily fall into the trap of. We all need that spiritual milk sometimes. Bringing back to the simple elements of our faith. And one of those simple elements is that we as sinful human beings have the tendency to think too highly of ourselves and too highly of other human beings. Whether we recognize it or not, whether or not it's something we actually proclaim with our mouths or do with our actions. Paul tells the Corinthians and us to stop believing and acting as if we and other humans have some secret power to grow faith. The wisdom of the world tells us that you can 
Your faith is your own. You can do it yourself. It also tells us that there are special people with special knowledge that we need to hitch our wagons to because they have the words of life. And yet the wisdom of God Almighty is what Peter tell, or Paul tells us in verse 21. He says this, So let no one boast in men. Why? For all things are yours. Whether a Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. One theologian that I read that I, uh, that I thought had a really helpful analogy for this to help us understand what he's saying here uh, is a guy named Andrew Wilson. And he relates what Paul has just said to the story of Abraham and Lot in Genesis 13. In that story we see Abraham gave Lot the first pick of the land that God had promised uh, after Lot and Abraham's uh, followings couldn't get along because there was just too many people in the valley. And so he gives Lot the first dibs. And Andrew Wilson says this about this situation. Abraham gave Lot the best bit of land because he knew that God would give him everything else. Paul's uplifting conclusion to this chapter is that all things in Christ are yours because you are in Christ. All things are, Christ's, are, are given to the Corinthians in Christ because they are in Christ. There is no need to divide over human beings. They cannot provide them anything more special, more important, more faith-growing than God himself has already provided for them. Their role, church leaders, their role is to work with the church to feed, to water, and to nurture her. It's not to be the God of the church or the king of the church or the master of the church. Church leaders are of vital importance. They're, they're wonderful and a blessing from God but it is God who does the work. It is God who grows faith. Church leaders are simply servants of that God who participate in, in what God has called them to do. Now, instead of trying to find, for us, trying to find kind of the next big guy to lead us to victory, it's important that we take a step back and recognize again that God has given us all that we need. As we read our word, the word of God, as we pray, and as we come to church and worship with the saints, we take communion, as we baptize our young, God has given us all that we need. There's nothing special about Pastor Dave, about Pastor Lucas, about Pastor Brent, about your favorite pastor on the radio, except for God has called us to this position. It is not worth dividing the church over a human being. Let us pray. Father God, we do love you and we thank you. We thank you for the words of Paul. We thank you for the growth that come from your very words. Father, we recognize that as sinful human beings, often we can tend to kind of hitch our wagons to those who are... Um, who have a lot of charisma, who are intelligent, 
who do speak truth. And those are good things. But Father, I pray ultimately that we would not be uh, filtering all of our theology and all of our uh, biblical understanding through their lens, but that we would be coming to your word ourselves, that we would be praying, that we would be listening to our pastors, that we would be listening to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we would not fall into the trap of following a human being down roads of destruction. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray for wisdom in this. We pray this in your name. Amen.